Welcome to the Seasoned Athlete Podcast, your home for stories, inspiration, and advice from athletes over 40. I'm your host, Robin Leggett. I'm a later in life athlete who became a roller derby skater in my 30s and a runner and obstacle racer in my 40s. Now I'm an athletic aging coach who helps women over 40 experience the massive life benefits that come with exploring your athletic potential at any age and any fitness background. If that fires you up, keep listening. Let's do this. Hey, seasoned athletes, today's episode features Jill Heinerth. Jill is an underwater explorer, writer, photographer, speaker, and filmmaker. She also happens to have one of the most dangerous jobs on the planet. Jill has led expeditions into the icebergs of Antarctica, volcanic lava tubes, and submerged caves worldwide. She is the first explorer in residence of the Royal Canadian Geographical Society, and her book, Into the Planet, has been lauded by the Wall Street Journal, Oprah Magazine, and the New York Times. What I love about the conversation I'm about to share is that we go beyond the nuts and bolts of how she turned an athletic pursuit and passion into a career, but we also talk about what the day-to-day is like, how one even goes about starting a business around an athletic passion, and how one continues to run such a business during a pandemic. So let's get into it. This is Jill Heinerth. Hi, Jill. Are you ready to drop some seasoned athlete knowledge on our listeners today? Absolutely. That's what I love to hear. So you are a fellow in the International Scuba Diving Hall of Fame. You're an underwater cave explorer, best-selling author, photographer, speaker, filmmaker. We have a lot to get into today. But before we get into any of that, I'm going to ask the question I ask all my guests, and that is, what is your age at this moment in time? 56 in a couple of days. In a couple of days. By the time this podcast airs, you will be 56. Yes. We'll, we'll just go with that. Cool. So let's go back let's go back in time. What did your early athletic life look like? Did you play sports or do anything active growing up? I've always been an an active outdoorsy person. And, you know, by the time I went to university, I, I tried to play sort of every intramural sport. So I wasn't, I was never a specialist. I I was just always interested in being active and trying new things. So if it, if they needed a fourth person for the bowling team, I was on it. Yeah. You, were with, you were game. You were game. Curling, whatever. And, and uh, you're you're from Canada. I am. I heard the accent a little bit, and then you said curling, and I'm like, well, she must be from Canada. <laughs> That's just not something. I'm in Los Angeles. That's just not something we get to do around here. I yeah. you know every time the Winter Olympics roll around. All of us down here, it's like, y'all want to learn how to do how to curl, how to do that. But it's just, it's not easy to find around here, unfortunately. Well, I was a lousy curler, but it was kind of fun because you hung around and drank beer when it wasn't happening. But <laughs> much like bowling, right? So I'm seeing a theme. Yeah, absolutely. So, but yeah. yeah, I used to play uh, like competitive basketball and I used to race cross-country skiing and that sort of stuff. But just to be outdoors and to be active, really. Right. You dipped your toes into all the things. Mm-hmm. Didn't specialize in one thing necessarily, but we're game for whatever. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, water's always been my element too. So, you know, swimming and uh, water polo and paddling and synchronized swimming and springboard diving and scuba and everything else. So you, did all, in the water. you did all the water things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously like a pattern was starting to form. Maybe you knew mm-hmm. it, maybe you didn't but you always seem to gravitate to water. Mm-hmm. So how did you get into cave diving, scuba diving? What was your first entry into that? 
Well, you know, I wanted to be a diver from, you know, as, as long as I can remember. Just watching Jacques Cousteau on TV was incredibly inspiring to me as a kid. But when you grow up in Canada and you say, I want to be a diver, everyone kind of looks at you and laughs and says, oh, we don't do that up here. How do you break through the ice? <laughs> right. we, that's why we play the hockey. So it was always in the back of my mind, but I I didn't really get a chance to pursue it until university when I earned my own money and bought my own equipment and took a class and, and then I was hooked. Yeah. So you did it as a hobby, I would presume to start. Uh, Yeah. You know, I, I do few things as, you know, basic hobbies in the way most people would perceive. Okay, go on about that. I mean, anytime I jump into something new, I tend to do it like with both feet, just throw myself right into it. So, you know, one weekend I'm taking an open water diving class. The next weekend I'm enrolled in an advanced class. The following weekend I'm back in the water with the instructor helping. You You just go all in. You go all in. Yeah, all in. I'm very similar to you in that way. Mm -hmm. Like Pretty soon I was an instructor and uh, teaching others. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I totally get like when you get into something, you get into something and it Mm -hmm. becomes an entire part, like a whole core part of your being. Yep. So let's bridge the gap towards air quote hobby, like (laughs) really intensive hobby to profession. Tell me about how that kind of came about where this is now everything. This is your core being. Mm -hmm. Well, I was, I was part owner of an advertising company in Toronto and uh, that was my day job inside at a drafting table. And I loved my work. I am a creative being. I'm an artist. But nights and weekends, Mm -hmm. as often as possible, I was teaching scuba or jumping in the car to drive north to go diving. And one day, literally after like a series of really high pressure jobs, I was just sort of looking around my little area going, I am not an indoor girl. (laughs) I, I can't do this. I cannot work in a indoor space for the rest of my life. I I have to find a way to be creative in the underworld. (laughs) I thought I love diving. It's the thing that I'm always trying to do. So why not get rid of this job and find a way to be creative underwater? Yeah. The transition. I sold everything. You just went again, you went all in. I went all in. I sold sold the business, sold everything I owned and moved to the tropics. Was that scary? Was that, how did it feel to do that? That's a big leap. You know, it's not something that just happens overnight. It's a transition. But, you know, I knew that I wasn't happy doing what I was doing ultimately. And I had to make a change. But it was incredibly hard. You know, you think you're going to disappoint your family. Everyone's looking at you like, what? How are you going to make money? You have a great job. You have a great business. What are you doing throwing it all away? But I knew that if I didn't, do what gave me passion. I was just, I was going to fail to be me anymore. So it it wasn't an easy transition. You know, it wasn't overnight, but the moment that I landed down in the Cayman Islands with, you know, a mission in my mind to find a way to create a career underwater, I knew I'd done the right thing. And I couldn't understand why it had taken me so long at that point. It's like, you know what? I'm here. I have just a suitcase full of belongings. I have nothing to lose. Yeah. yeah. Oh gosh. I love this so much for, <laughs> for so many reasons, because I think a lot of people 
don't make that jump. Like they want to make that jump and they don't make that jump for all the reasons that you mentioned that, you know, there's preconceived notions as to what we should do with our lives and how we should make money and whether or not it's wise to step out of a situation that's comfortable, that's supportive, but you know, deep down, like it's not who you are. It's, it's draining you as opposed to building you up and lifting you up and that there's something else you're meant to be doing, but that involves risk. And that's Mm -hmm. terrifying. And for some that's too terrifying, but you made that leap. You were able to say like, I'm going to let everything go and go after this dream. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. I I remember even after I had gotten down to the islands and I'm, you know, trying to figure out how am I going to make a living doing this? (laughs) Of course, my father's still at home going, how is she going to make a living doing this? I remember that's usually the toughest is the dad. It's like the dad. But I remember him writing me a letter and the letter was essentially like, like you're almost 30 years old, you know, you're, you're, you're withering away. If you don't have kids now and get married, then, you know, you've wasted your life. And I'm like, uh, no. (laughs) And if, yeah, in fact, no, you have a whole lot of life ahead of you. And if you don't do this now, then it might be too late later, you know, or it might feel like it's too late later because I don't believe it's too late at any point, but you know, it might feel like it's too late. I'm fascinated by this whole story. So when you got rid of everything, had one suitcase, moved to the Cayman Islands, what were you looking to do there? What what was the first step in this new life? So when I moved to the Cayman Islands, I was already a diving instructor. So I had a friend who was running a resort down there and he said, I really need some help. Can you come help me for a little while? And I thought, "Ah, you know, I'll just go do this for a while, right? (laughs) Thinking, oh, if I teach diving some more and really spend some time with my camera underwater developing my skills, that that would be my opportunity to figure it all out. And, you know, two and a half, almost three years later, I was still there, (laughs) but on a course to figuring it out, you know? Yeah. And as you grew, you said you were getting into underwater photography how did you flourish there? Like what, what did you ultimately land on as like, this is what I'm meant to be doing in all of this. Cause there's a lot of different ways you could have gone about it. Right. But you like, what was the thing that's like, this is it. Like I, the sweet spot. Yeah. Oh, I just knew, you know, being in the water every day is really what I wanted to do. Uh, But in terms of actually making money, I thought, oh, you know, I don't want to teach scuba my whole life or I don't want to just do that. And, you know, I really wanted to, you know, be the people that I was, I was reading in the magazines. I, I, I wanted to write the articles. I wanted to shoot the pictures. And so I started submitting to magazines and pitching things and, and then eventually volunteered to support an expedition And that really opened the doors for me. I think, you know, volunteering is a great way to test the waters, so to say. (laughs) As it were, literally. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, meet the people that are are doing what you want to do. And then you work your butt off and you say, okay, how do I do this now for more? (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. How can I get paid to do this like you do? But you're making, Mm -hmm. you're making connections your giving of your services and showing the value that you can provide. And then they see what you're doing and it can open up doors for you, which is sounds like what happened for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think anybody that wants to sort of chase their dream, that's a good way to, you know, get started and then find opportunities. Yeah. You know, I read an article about you and something it mentioned, and I, you know, I don't know a ton about scuba diving, cave diving, 
But it said that what you do is perhaps one of the most dangerous jobs. It said in the article, they said more have died swimming in caves than summiting Mount Everest. Yeah. So uh, can you talk a little bit about that aspect of it? And if that is that something that drew you to it? Is that something that scared you at first? But tell me about that, because, you know, not everybody leaves a nice, cushy job in advertising to do what is one of the most dangerous jobs. Yeah. I mean, the the sad side of that story is that I know, have known over 100 people who have died in underwater caves and in technical diving accidents, you know, through the course of my career. And that's that's pretty sobering. I mean, it is a very high risk sport. You're going into water filled spaces that has have a roof, you know, over your head. And so if you're two miles back inside the planet in an underwater cave, you can't exactly call mission control for help. If you have a problem, you've got to deal with it and solve it for yourself. You can't breathe water. So if you have an equipment failure, you got to figure it out and get your, your own self home. And there's lots that can go wrong in underwater caves. These can be confining environments, silt rains down from the ceiling and obliterates our ability to see in these places at times, uh, you know, at other times you're squeezing through spaces that are the equivalent of, of the room that's underneath your bed, you know, uh, all the while, you know, carrying heavy equipment to, to shoot photographs or video or do scientific work. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of risk. Now, you know, am I inherently risky? Um, no, I, I don't think so. I, I think it's, it's a matter of perspective. I actually, I write about this in my book that uh, I believe that part of my drive for adventure is genetic. There's a gene called the 7R gene. That's the adventure seekers, novelty sensation seekers gene. And, and that's definitely me. You know, I won't walk the same route, you know, if I'm going to the same place day after day after day. I I always have some new idea about, you know, how to cook or <laughs> what to put on my food. Um, so I'm always seeking, I'm curious, I'm seeking novelty, I'm seeking sensations. But that doesn't mean necessarily that I'm uh, some adrenaline-filled filled risk taker, you know. I prefer to look at it as problem solving. If somebody right. says it's difficult, dangerous, or impossible, I want to figure out how to do it safely. Right. Routine is not your jam. No, (laughs) I'm I'm fascinated about the gene because like, do you see examples in your family that maybe you didn't know growing up that you could refer to when it comes to like where this might have come from for you? Well, that's very interesting. I mean, I don't think anybody else in my family has that disposition. I certainly, you know, my family... I guess they inspired me to to know that nothing is impossible if you work hard and you put your mind to it. So I, I got that mm-hmm. genetically. Uh, but I think everybody else is much more cautious and safe. Like if we were a family unit, you know, a thousand years ago, I would have been the hunter gatherer out, you know, getting the lion or, <laughs> or yeah. dragging the gazelle back to the camp. And the rest of my family would have been the ones that were, uh, planting the crops and rearing the children and teaching, yeah. you know, uh, that kind of stuff. So it's not a it's not a value judgment at all. It's just a very different way of looking at life. Right. It's the role you were meant to play. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I, and I'm looking at my own life because I think I am the I'm the one with that gene. 
in my my family because I'm like nobody really has this in my family, <laughs> and I certainly I I don't have it to the extent of underwater cave diving, but mm-hmm. I you know we all have our own version of that and and how yeah. that would look for us and just seeking out challenge and seeking out adventure and seeking out new and different and curiosity and it sounds like that's what fuels you absolutely so let's talk about your book it's called Into the Planet. It's a bestseller lauded by the Wall Street Journal, Oprah Magazine, New York Times. Tell me about how that book came about, what it's about, and who needs to read it. (laughs) Well, I think uh, I'm still that kid from kindergarten that really enjoyed the activity of show and tell. So so I've always been a storyteller. I've always written. I love writing. And and so I knew I wanted to write a memoir about my experiences, but it was a really tough process. When I finally met the right person to be my editor, we had some very fascinating conversations. She knew nothing about diving and was really fascinated by my story. And I remember her saying to me, this has to be extremely authentic. This has to be completely honest or people aren't going to want to read it. You know, they don't want to just read about your adventures. They need the human story behind it. And I thought, yeah, okay. Um, it's not going to be easy, but but I want to do this. And so it took me a couple of years and I wanted to write a, a story that took people into this world that they might never experience. But really the book is about fear. The book is about facing and you know bringing fear into your life rather than running from it and in some weird way the timing was excellent to to release it last fall um well sorry a year ago last fall now pre-covid nice. <laughs> because it kind of feels like a guidebook to the dark uncertainty and change that everybody is dealing yeah. with today yeah i mean fear is ever present Mm-hmm. unknown is ever present. The world is scary just to even go into it and and the parallels of the worlds you have explored that are yeah. unknown and scary and dark and could kill you just by being in it. You yeah, everybody has the dark caves of their own lives. I mean, mm-hmm. fear is real. People think I'm fearless because of what I do. I am not fearless. <laughs> well, and that's, that's what protects you too, is that yeah. you, you don't go into it without thought and preparation and understanding the environment you're stepping into, but that doesn't stop you from stepping into the environment. Right. And and I want to dive with people who are also afraid because it means we care about the outcome. And, yeah. and I, I, I'd like to tell people that are not divers who will never go into a cave. You know, I say, you know, we all have our own dark caves. And yet, if you just stick your head in the door and let your eyes adjust to that dim light, that's where you stand on the threshold of discovery and opportunity, you know, to do something new for yourself or maybe something new for humanity. I mean, I get to go to places that no person has ever been on this planet and bring back the images to share. That's incredible. But the other kinds of fears that that humanity deals with, whether it's just putting some edgy report on your boss's desk or or launching a new business, yeah. it, it's all the same. You know, fears are legitimate, but when we step towards them, that's when we further the pursuit of building a better society in my mind. Yes. Yeah. Building yourself into the best version of yourself. And then that spills out into the world around us. This is a big part of the work I do as a, as a fitness coach, because I help, I help women over 40, I say age like athletes. But the reason I do that is all the things you are talking about where it opens up the potential for you to 
experience a level of empowerment, a level of confidence that can span out into all areas of your life. And that, like you mentioned, putting that edgy report onto your boss's desk, that thing that terrifies you in your day-to-day job. But when you are doing things that you never imagined in your whole life, like I like to talk about younger you, (laughs) like if younger you would look at you now, it's like, really? This is what happened? You're doing that? Like doing things that younger you never imagined you could do. Things that you now never imagined you could do at the age you're at now. And and you're a great example of that. You are, you are diving and swimming into places, like you said, no human has ever gone. Like that's remarkable, but you're doing it. And everybody's got a version of that. You know, not everybody's going to do that that cave swim. Like, mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. not everybody's going to climb Everest, but yeah. you know, there, we all have that. We have that thing, that thing that we could do that is terrifying and scary. But when you allow yourself the opportunity to do that thing, that's terrifying and mm-hmm. scary, how can that affect every other aspect of your life? You know, there, there's a lot of parallels to what you do training people you know, when you give somebody a goal and you say, you know, in six months, you're going to be doing 50 pull-ups and they're like, oh, I can't even do one, Robin. You are a ridiculous human being for saying those words out loud. Yes. But when you tell them, you know, okay, just stop focusing on the big goal and just Mm -hmm. do one, you know, all you have to do is just suspend disbelief and just try. Right. And then when you achieve one and you go, oh my God, I did one. Right. Right. then you'd younger me didn't think I could do. That's right. And before you know it, you've reached 50 and you've gone, holy crap, what mm-hmm. else can I do? What else yeah. am I capable of? And I, I really think the possibilities are boundless. Yeah. We, we as humans have an unlimited capacity for growth. And this is also something I talk about all the time. And in my own story, I use uh, my running experience. I ran my first marathon like minutes before the world shut down this year or last year. Um, so thank you. you 40, 45 years old, ran my first marathon, but I only started running eight years ago. I also ran a, like an ultra obstacle race in 2019. And people ask me like, how sore were you after that race? And my answer is exactly as sore as I was after that first 5k because we grow and we all start somewhere. But I think it, it starts with suspending that disbelief. Like, like, and this is something I've actually been talking to people about literally this week. It's like, we are living in a world that's very compressive right now. And it, it inhibits big ideas. It inhibits big dreams because we are stuck at home. We don't know when we won't be. So it's like, we're, everything's really inhibited right now. So it's hard to think expansively for ourselves. And so I've been asking people like, if COVID didn't exist, if money was no object, you know, if there were no restrictions, what is something you want to want to do? What is like one really cool thing you want to do? And I, and just unlocking that for people is really, really helpful because we all put these like barriers and locks on, on our dreams. So allowing yourself to unlock that and think of the possibility, then you can pare it down to what that looks like now. Mm-hmm. You know, from the pull-ups to the one pull-up. Mm-hmm. So you're an example of what can happen when you and you just went with like a suitcase and I don't know, a little bit of curiosity. Like, <laughs> well, the funny thing is I, I went with a suitcase and an underwater camera that I had 
a whole system that I'd saved a lot of money for. And very early on in my time in the Cayman Islands, the whole camera system imploded on a deep dive and flooded. So, so I got to a point in my life that was really tough because the business partners that I had left decided uh, not to pay the bills that they owed me. And then the one valuable thing that I had left in my life that was going to further my future career was crushed and non-functioning. And so then I was, I was naked. There I was. I wasn't in my own country. I wasn't near my own family. Uh, I had nothing. I had no money. I had nothing left than the clothes on my back. And there I was sort of naked having to say, is this where I want to go? Uh, (laughs) Or do I want to go home and just, you know, curl up into the fetal position right. and start Tuck the over. tail between the legs. And, uh, and yeah. Oh, yeah. So what happened next? Well, I, I stuck it out. I thought, no, this is why I'm here. Uh, you know, I, I want to make this happen. And I, again, I still didn't have the big answers, but I always knew the next best thing to do. And that that's something I've carried through all of my experiences in life. Like when I'm in a dangerous situation, in an emergency, in an underwater cave, it's like, I don't have to worry about how to get out right now. I just have to worry about what to do next, you know, and yeah. you always know what the next best choice is. So um, yeah, so I would say I sort of plotted relentlessly towards my uh, towards my goals, and now I'm a 30 year overnight success. Right. <laughs> that's another thing people need to remember when they're when they're doing something new, doing something scary, starting a new business is like the overnight success thing is pretty much a myth. Like, <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, if I looked objectively at my life, I made my most, uh, you know, I had the greatest financial rewards in my early 20s. But I am so damn happy now. Right. And that's, (laughs) there's no comparison. Yeah. They would never trade. You would never trade, right? No. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm an entrepreneur. So it's like, I don't usually talk about this type, this aspect um, and making, you know, making your sport a career and, you know, dropping a day job and all of that, all of that stuff. We don't really get into too much here. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I've been enjoying riding this wave as it were. Uh, I'm all all in for the water puns, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about these dives. Let's get specific. Tell me about your hardest, your scariest dive experience. Well, you know, one of my longest dives ever was a like a mission this is more than 20 years ago now but it was a an exploration where we were making the world's first accurate three-dimensional map using a, a mapping system that had been developed by our team and we were also employing life support systems called rebreathers that are like uh, very similar to spacesuits that astronauts wear so different than what you'd see normally on a scuba diver and that particular project I had first embarked on and planned on being an organizational part of the project. And then step by step over the course of two years of preparation for that project, I ended up as one of the key exploration divers and the only woman in that in that role. So the toughest dive I did on that project anyone that's listening that's a scuba diver will appreciate this. The bottom time, so the time at maximum depth inside the cave was five hours at 300 feet deep which meant that I had another 17 hours of decompression time to slowly come up and relieve the pressure from my body before I could be on the surface again. And uh, so that, that mission was 
psychologically and physically as challenging and risky as it gets, because mm-hmm. I was pushing the envelope where no woman had ever been before. And uh, we just don't know how our bodies are going to react to that level of, of exposure to the high pressure environment and exotic breathing gases. Huh. I, and it's, I think a lot of people don't even understand that like you, you don't just come up. You're like, no. <laughs> no, it's like a soda pop bottle is the best way mm-hmm. to describe it, where, you know, as you go down underwater, you are putting yourself under pressure the same way a soda pop bottle is pressurized. And so any gas that you're breathing in, like your body will metabolize oxygen and use it for fuel, but you are also breathing in nitrogen and helium in the case of deep dives. And that has no service to the human body. So we just stuff it into our tissues in the form of tiny micro bubbles, much like the soda pop bottle that you look at that just looks like liquid in the bottle. But if you shake it up and you take the cap off, that gas comes out of solution and expands. And you can imagine that if your body was like the soda pop bottle and you came straight up to the surface from 300 feet, then those bubbles would come out of solution and wreak havoc throughout your entire system, potentially killing you. And so we have to come back to the surface very slowly, like taking that cap off in a very gentle way and slowly relieving the pressure. And 17 hours. Yeah, 22 hours total. Yeah. (laughs) Just just underwater by yourself slowly. Well, I had a partner. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But still, it's, you know, Mm -hmm. it's dark, semi lonely experience. Mm -hmm. And you said, like, you didn't know what would happen, particularly to women, because you were the first to do that. Did you learn anything? Like, are there differences? You know, we still like a human guinea pig most of the time, (laughs) pushing the edge of the envelope because there's still not that many women in the very extreme end of of diving. There are plenty more men, but men and women included are still real, you know, guinea pigs in this level of technical diving. Uh, It seems like we're on some exponential curve doing things, you know, that a decade ago were world records and so on and so on and so on. And and so we're really we're really pushing the edges of of human potential, and uh, and learning along the way through yeah so the sample sizes are still very very small very (laughs) hard to to make definitive yeah assessments Mm -hmm. of you know what happens to the human body and specifically the differences between men and women but it's an interesting thing because in in sport in general and athletics in general and fitness in general like the research on women is always lower than men so you know we're just starting to learn about the differences in how physical fitness affects women, how nutrition affects women, how, how our hormonal changes as we age, how that affects everything and how we can make interventions on that. So it's, it's gotta be an interesting place to be where you're the first or one of the first to do many of the things that you do. Well, yeah, very much so. I mean, because now I'm not just uh, like a woman technical diver, but I'm an older woman <laughs> technical diver. Exactly. So we have a whole, no, a whole new level of research. Needs to yeah. Be done. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, hopefully you're going to be able to report back and actually like make some innovations in your industry mm-hmm. just by doing what you do. So that was your hardest dive. What was like your favorite, your favorite one that you did? Oh boy, there's so many. <laughs> I mean, I know when you when you're at the volume that you've done in your career, it's hard uh, to pinpoint. You have yeah. many favorite children. I mean, I was the first person to cave dive in an iceberg. I was the first woman to swim with wild polar bears. Um, 
I, you know, oh, you just got really my, excited about that one. Yeah, some of my favorite things have been, you know, yeah, tell, go, just keep going sea on. Lion, like, sea keep lions. Going on and, with all these favorites. I like this. Yeah. Humpback whales, swimming with humpback whales with a mother and a calf for hours. Uh, yeah, there's so, so many. So the, there's all those beautiful highs and incredible opportunities to view the majesty of Mother Nature. And then there's been the terrifying ones too. I mean, I've been trapped inside a cave behind a, a scientist that was stuck, uh, really thinking that neither of us were going to survive that day. Um, you know, I've been stuck inside an iceberg. I've been bitten by an eel. I've been bitten by a seal. I mean, <laughs> you've just got a long list. Of <laughs> <laughs> There's sea life. It bit me. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, again, like you're saying things that most people will like, it sounds ludicrous. Like, yeah. Like who gets bitten by a seal? <laughs> well, it, say it, they got bitten by a seal. <laughs> yeah, well, a seal. It was a it was a young one with with pretty sharp little incisors. Like um, sea lions, they're very orally fixated, and so when you're in a like a whole group of sea lions, you might have thirty of them, like literally on top of you, and they're all nipping, they're all chomping. And chomping. Yeah, they're tugging on the camera. They're yanking on my arm. They're trying to steal the computer off my wrist. I've had them steal the fins off my dive buddy. Wow. Uh, but yeah, but about a year ago, a, a young one bit right into my shoulder of my dry suit and punctured the dry suit, which then filled with freezing water. Oh gosh. And uh, it's like, oh man, really? Oh, man, buddy. <laughs> Why you yeah. gotta do that, little buddy? Like they're so cute. You want to forgive mean them, it. but like, yeah. yeah. He didn't hurt me. He didn't hurt me. Right. I know. And it's like, you know, I'm listening. I just, I, I love otters. I love sea, sea lions. Yeah. And I'm like, I'd be down to have one bite me because they're so cute. Well, <laughs> even with a suit full of cold water, I stayed in the water for almost another hour. Cause right. I was why just, would you want to leave? Such a good time. Yeah. <laughs> Plus I knew I wasn't getting back in the water that day with a ruined dry suit. <laughs> right. So you had to make the most of it. I think people can live vicariously through your story. And I'm sure people have told you that it's like, I don't know that I'm ever, I don't know if I'm diving in a cave in my life. Like, I don't, I mean, maybe, but I don't know. So like hearing this, it's like, oh, I, that sounds awesome. And I love it. And I'm going to live vicariously unless some, at some point in my life, I mean, I didn't know that I'd run a marathon either. So mm-hmm. who knows, right? Ever. Who knows? <laughs> and you know, if there's anything I've learned from this podcast is that we are not old. We have a lot of years ahead of us. I've interviewed people as old as 93 and 96 years old. So, you know, we all have plenty of time to to do the amazing things but also don't waste time mm-hmm. so all right let's talk about age for a little mm-hmm. bit what types of unique challenges have you started facing as you age in this sport and in this profession hmm. it's interesting when I started into the diving world and was trying to find my place and I guess even be you know recognized for what I was doing I was too young, too young, too young. <laughs> oh, she's just young. You know, opportunities went to someone that was older or, you know, yeah. whatever. So, but then all of a sudden one day it was like, boom. Oh, and now I'm an elder statesman in our community. <laughs> right. Where, <laughs> what? Did I miss the point where I was like, just right? <laughs> I think I did. Um So, you know, with increasing age has come more wisdom. And I think, uh, more patience, uh, smarter outlook on risk assessment. But I also have to really be mindful of my limitations. I Like I believe that the rule of survivors is that, you know, I have to be willing to 
you know, bet it all, spend it all, you know, do it all, train my butt off. And then in the heat of the moment, when I'm within a hair's breadth of what I may perceive as complete success or the pinnacle of my career, I have to be willing to say, no, not today, and no one to abort. And I'm much better. I'm much more peaceful about that. So I don't feel as much pressure as I, I used to, to perform, to get the notch in the belt or whatever else. It's like, right. yeah, I, I do want to do this great feat, but if it's not right, if it's not safe, if there's something that's not perfect, then, then it won't happen. You, yeah, you have that intuition. Yeah. Intuition, wisdom, wisdom, experience, Mm -hmm. and you don't have anything to prove necessarily. Like maybe you felt like you did when you were younger. Yeah. And when the, and when the safety protocols aren't right, I'm the first to speak up and say, Oh no, we're not. (laughs) And and like, thank goodness for you. Right. Because somebody else might not recognize that. But uh, I mean, what you said, I don't don't know if you've seen the movie Free Solo. Um, Oh, yeah. It reminded me of that movie. That's the documentary about Alex Honnold, the the Free Solo climber who climbed El Capitan. Um, I've seen that movie twice now. But there was a point where he was going to do the climb and something told him not to. I'm sorry if this is a spoiler alert for some, but it's been out for a while. But like, that's that moment where it's like, no, something's off. And that something that's off could be the something that kills you. In, Absolutely. in his sport and in your sport and possibly other people. And so having that ability to recognize when things aren't quite right, that could be a difference between life and death and the ability to back off and say, no, not today. Like that's a huge thing to have. And that only comes, it doesn't only come with age. That's a big part of it, but also experience, obviously. Well, you know, I have to say, and this is a little grim, but some of my other sort of you know, older, elderly colleagues, we say that it doesn't get real until there's a dead guy on the deck. When you've had the experience of, of losing someone that you, that you love, a friend, a close, you know, compatriot, like, and, and have maybe even held them in their last moments that changes you forever. And not only does it make you, you know, get up and seize the day and do everything you can, but it, it also really makes you think differently about risk and, and, you know, putting the best possible safety around you and your team at every moment. Yeah. And that's that, that's that fine line between like, you have to live life because it could, yeah. it could end on a moment's notice and you, and you've seen it, but also like, you have to be smart about this thing you're doing because it is mm-hmm. one of the most dangerous sports in the world. Yeah. Um, I'm, I guess, you know, I'm not reckless, but when my mother says, aren't you afraid of dying? I'm like, no, I'm not focused on that. I'm really afraid of not living a full and yeah. productive life. I, I, that's, you know, a much greater fear to me. Yeah. So uh, I'll just do it the best I can every day. But no, I'm not focused on being afraid of dying. We all die eventually. That's the only certainty in life. (laughs) It's true. That is true. So what advice do you have? And I feel like we could, God, you could give advice about a lot of things. Um, But I usually ask like people who are around your age who are interested in doing what you do. But I, I feel like I want to branch it out and talk about making a change, like making a change in pursuing a passion. That's scary. You talked about it. Like you had to give up a lot and lose a lot to gain a lot. And you didn't know if you were going to gain a lot, but something told you to go where you needed to go and be where you needed to be and do what you need to do. What advice do you have for listeners who might be contemplating 
a change like that? Well, I, I think just know in your heart that that nothing is impossible and that you can, you know, set yourself on a self-taught course to to anything that you want to do. And if it doesn't work out, change directions. Mm -hmm. So I guess the the key advice is just to to let go of that permanence of, oh, I don't know what to take at university. You know, should I take this or or should I take that? Will there be a job at the end of this? I'm the first one to tell you, oh, there's probably not going to be a job for anything you do at university. I mean, mean, who who really works in a career that they went to university yeah like i i'm not (laughs) so yes uh, so yeah i would just life is much longer and to ask people to decide on their forever career Mm -hmm. in their 20s that's a big ask and i think we're finally starting to realize that yeah but you know as teenagers in high school everyone's like what do you want to be when you grow up what are you going to do what are you going to take at university and you really felt like i got to make the decision now about what i'm going to do for the rest of my life and and i'm here to say you know you you just got to make the decision about what you want to do today and then tomorrow you might meet some amazing you know person who can give you an opportunity and just stand ready to say yes and try it because you can always shift direction. You can always shift gears. And I imagine even in your career, like you, you've done so many things, you're writer, photographer, explorer, like, could you even have imagined the directions your career would have gone when you first showed up at the Cayman Islands? No, not at all. As a kid, I was very interested in science and, and and I was a creative person. And I, I knew that I was not going to be happy working towards one specialty for the rest of my life. I wanted everything. <laughs> I wanted to try everything. I wanted to try all of the sports. I, uh, you know, so the job today for me is perfect. If I'm, if I'm working on a new documentary film and I'm underwater with my camera or I'm, I'm, you know, writing the documentary or, or you uh, creating the media that goes with it, that that's all like new research and really exciting for me. Uh, so I get to dabble in a lot of different things and, that's really the root of it. So if one day someone said, you can't dive anymore, uh, there would be some other type of exploration that would fill that void for me. Right. Because that's, that's the muscle you've developed over time is just the the explorer side of yourself, the curiosity, mm-hmm. the willingness to go where we're not to quote Star Trek, but where no one has gone before. <laughs> it's along those lines. So this year, like obviously COVID has been a thing. Have you been able to to get into the water this year? How have things changed? Well, I mean, last year I was on the road two thirds of the year on projects and expeditions. And even even really literally up until the day when in March, I think it was around the 13th when they said, mm-hmm. nope, everyone stay home. I, I had been traveling like literally for 70 to 80 percent of the of the last year. Um, and so every project everything that brought me income in my life was shut down like so many other people. And it's like, Oh, okay. So there was that sort of couple of weeks where it it sort of felt like a snow day and you're going, Oh, wow. It's really nice to be home with you, dear. (laughs) And now as we're, yeah, now as we're approaching a year later, it's really different. We've once again, you reinvented what we do, but fortunately where I live in Canada, I have been able to continue diving and, and I've just been doing explorations that are local. So yeah. my husband, Robert, and I have been completely isolated for almost a year now. We haven't even been seeing our family or, or anything just for the sake of everybody's safety. Yeah. 
gosh, I know I don't want to get COVID. That could be a career ender for me. Right. Um, I certainly don't want to pass it on to anyone unknowingly. <laughs> yeah. I imagine having strong lungs is is helpful. Yeah. 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 So, you know, fortunately, I do live in an area where I'm just about an hour and a half away from Canada's longest underwater cave system. And there's wrecks in the other direction. There's There's lots to explore. So I've actually totally been digging local exploration right this thing that you probably didn't have a huge opportunity to do because you were traveling so much and you right see what's right in your backyard yeah so I've been writing and um, pitching new projects and uh, developing new ideas so in a way it's been it's been very creative year for me we even launched a clothing brand what yes uh, so as an artist, I, you know, I, I paint, I do all kinds of things. We launched a Canadian made clothing brand called Maple Proud. Um, and it's all based on my own artwork from, you know, expeditions and landscapes across Canada. And uh, yeah. That's yeah, so cool. So- it's a lot. So, so, you know, COVID and quarantine, it's allowed you to tap into a new creative outlet that, again, you might not have had time to do. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I'm a graphic designer, but this is the first time I've designed clothing. And uh, very cool. (laughs) And then you know, we do. My husband and I do everything. We don't hire other people to do things. So you know, if I write a book, I I I write, design, publish, distribute. You Mm -hmm. know, a lot of times, or in this case, we're we're doing everything from start to finish, including you know, I've had to learn about all the accounting of having an online store and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all that fun entrepreneurial stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I imagine every, you know, the path your life took and your ability, your desire and ability to drop the comfortable and step into the uncomfortable. And that's given you the skills that have come in handy for you in this time when you're forced to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's worked out nicely for you. I love that. I love that you have a clothing, clothing line. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Before we wrap up, first of all, if people want to learn more about you, what you do or get your book, how can mm-hmm. they do that? Well, my website is intotheplanet.com. That's also the name of the book, Into the Planet. I mean, these days with everybody locked up and things closed, the easiest place to get it is on Amazon. If you do have access to a small independent bookstore, please support them since these are very hard times for them. But yeah, it's available as uh, paperback, hardcover, audio ebook the whole ball of wax and and the audiobook is um read by me so there's a lot of there's a lot of emotion in it (laughs) yes i like i love it when the author reads their own story that makes me yeah i like that because you just (laughs) you can read it in a way that nobody else can really read it because you've lived it so (laughs) yeah awesome so you know we're all at home we're all reading a little more so or listening to more podcasts or audiobooks this is a great opportunity and you know i Hopefully people, just as I have been, have been inspired, motivated by your story, maybe opening up a new line of thinking for what is possible for yourself. So it'd be a great opportunity to dig deeper into that by by learning more about you and what you have to to share with us. So I, thank you. I'm. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, um, thank you for being on the podcast. Before we go, though, mm-hmm. I almost forgot to ask this. I always ask this of all my guests and it puts you on the spot a little bit. But Mm -hmm. if you had one parting piece of wisdom to offer our listeners today, what would that be? Hmm. Um, Just chase your dreams. Yeah. Yeah. Know that it's possible. Yes. 
nice and simple. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. We are all capable of unlimited growth and, and you are an example of, you know, what can be possible when you just chase after something that feels right, Mm -hmm. even if it's not a fully formed thing yet. That's right. That's right. You know what's wrong. You know what's not for you. And you're like, something out there is right for me. And it's Mm -hmm. going to be underwater. Mm -hmm. And I just have to go for it. And and look what's happened for you. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us on the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. I'm definitely fired up by it. I know people listening will be fired up by it. And it's just been a blast to have you here. So thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you. It's been a great conversation. Ready to take the inspiration you get from Seasoned Athlete and put it into action in your own life? Grab my new pop-up mini podcast called how to age like an athlete. In this three episode series, I share stories of people just like you and me who made a choice to step into their own athletic potential at various ages and changed their lives in the process. And then I give you a simple step-by-step method to make this happen in your own life right now. Subscribe for free and listen now at robinleggett.com slash private pod.